Good morning. So good to worship together. To sing. To read the word of God. To study. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be reading Philippians 1 and focusing on verses 12 and the first part of verse 18, through the verse, first part of verse 18. Um, just to hit on real quickly what Jaden, um, one of the announcements that home groups are a great opportunity to grow together as a body of Christ. Um, Liz and I, we have one right after Sunday services, except on days when there's a potluck. And we have room. Um, my phone number's in the bulletin if you would like uh, directions to the house. Or you can run into us after the service. Philippians 1, 12 through 18 is what we're studying. This passage is all about how the gospel is advancing. Um, Paul wants to make that known. And you'll notice that Paul has a few different examples of how the gospel, um, how People are proclaiming Jesus in the world, how the gospel is being advanced um, in response to what has happened to Paul, namely Paul's in prison. He's been arrested. Um, Contextually, he's been arrested for telling people about Jesus. As we read, I want you to notice what is, or ask yourself, what is fueling or driving or motivating these different people, these different groups of people, to share the gospel. All of them are telling about Jesus, Paul included. However, they're being differently, being motivated in different ways, and each of them has an inner desire that's fueling their life, fueling their ministry. Let's read, and and just notice that with me as we read. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, or brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, having become confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That is the word of the Lord, and let's pray and ask God for clarity and help. Father, you are a great surgeon of souls. You expose us, and I ask that your word would do that in our hearts now. Help us see the infinite value of the loving work of Christ. 
a value so worthwhile, so worth having and holding and proclaiming that we would find all of our joy in Christ proclaimed. And help us see where our hearts are loving the things of this world, where our hearts are loving the opinions and the praise of other people and the circumstances of of our life, finding our joy in that. We can only do that by your help, only in your power. So help us, and please help me, Father, to be be very clear. In Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the things that I think is so compelling about the Bible is that it accurately, at least in my experience, and I, I pray and hope in yours, you find this to be true, it accurately describes the condition of our human heart. In other words, when, when the Bible says, this is the way you are, I raise my hand, and I pray you raise your hand, and say, apart from the grace of God, that's me. That's me too. We see the nature of our hearts in the word, in the word of God. And, and one thing this passage does, it, it reveals an epidemic that is in our world, in every human heart. It's an infection. I haven't met anybody that doesn't struggle with this. I struggle with this, um, suffering under this condition. The Bible says it's part of our nature, born this way. You don't have to be taught this. And what is what, what's this condition? It, the condition is that we live in a way that measures our own success on public opinion, the opinions of others, the opinion of what, what the world finds valuable, and by comparing ourselves with others. That's where we measure our success naturally. We compare ourselves with others in order to determine if we're successful. That's where we find our success. And we look to public opinion to find comfort. And this condition that we have, it creates a cycle in our lives. And it, it's a crazy cycle that, that is, I think, the root of most anxiety, most fear in the world. The cycle goes something like this. So if you picture a Ferris wheel, like, and to join in this cycle is to sit in one of those passenger cabins. So you got this Ferris wheel, and you're sitting in one of those cabins, and everybody around you, everybody in your life, um, all, you know, if it's, it's somebody that influences you, whether positively or negatively, those that you, lo- that you love, those that you hate, those that you read, those that you watch, those you follow, all the people that impact your life are sitting in their own little passenger cars on this Ferris wheel. And, and in this crazy cycle, your place, where you are on that wheel, means something. To be at the top of that wheel, to be riding up, that's the height of, in this scenario, the height of joy, satisfaction, peace, success. That's, where you're, that's when you're, you're doing really well. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about, this is not just a, oh, you're the richest person in the world. Because most people, yeah, we'd say, okay, that'd be nice. But most people just want peace. They just want stability. They just want to be loved. They want to make a difference in the world. They want to be remembered. That's... That's a success, to be at the top 
of that Ferris wheel. And on the other hand, at the bottom, to be at the bottom of that wheel is to be in your, your lowest, most depressed, most anxious, most bitter, most fearful, most worried. You don't feel at least successful. You don't feel like you're doing very well. So everybody's on the wheel. The top is to be at the height of success. And to be at the bottom is to feel that you're a total failure. And in this condition that we have, on this wheel, there is a mad desire in us to get to the top. I don't want to be at the bottom. Nobody wants to be at the bottom. It may not always look that way or feel that way to you. And when you look at others, like just look like normal, nice people that want to... To, to get by in life, often our motives and our desires are hidden only to the eyes of God and, and, and what, we can, what is revealed to us in ourselves. And in some, it's more explicitly seen than others. We all, we, we all know what the heights of pride and the heights of comparison making look like. And, and, and we also know that there's, you know, maybe you're someone who... who um, cloaks yourself in false humility. You're never going to say something positive about yourself. You're going to turn everything around and, uh, and, 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 and point things back to them. Maybe you just see yourself as a general ha- generally happy person. Um, you're able to hide, you know, that just, um, it, which, which in, in the reality of life, we would say, well, that, that's kind of naive because the reality is that things don't always go well. So that happiness is almost naivety. Or, or, or you just consider yourself stoic. I'm, I'm, stoicism is a good thing. I'm not going to get too worked up about anything. As long as I can just stay stable, you know, ride the, no, don't ride the wave, the highs and the lows, I'm going to be fine. But, but even in that condition, we know that my stoicism, my ability is to be at the top. We want to be there because there is where peace is found and satisfaction and stability and comfort. And you're going to look to other people to do that. So how does one get to the, to the top of this Ferris wheel? In our condition, we rise and we fall based on comparing. We compare ourselves with others, or we look to the opinions of others, or even the perceived opinions, what, what, they, what they think, what they value. And in this condition, condition we, we rise to the top, climbing on the opinions of others, comparing ourselves with others. And once we feel we are at the top, People think well of me. I compare myself with others and I feel good about myself. It's going to be those same opinions. Once you're at the top, it's going to be those same opinions, the negative version, those same comparisons that's going to bring you right back down again. And thus, the cycle goes on and on. And if it's not remedied, if it's not stopped, if it's not broken, we we go around and around like that for the rest of our lives comparing ourselves to others, and we're hoping, as we're doing that, we're hoping to build up enough social capital, enough respectability in the world, enough people that like us, so that when we retire or when we die, there's going to be people to celebrate us. I want to be celebrated. I want to be remembered. We're like Ebenezer Scrooge in The Christmas Carol. You remember The Christmas Carol? Um, You know, we think that... (laughs) The Christmas Carol, right? I naturally do, but like seeing that the Christmas Carol through the eyes of this passage, um, you think that Ebenezer Scrooge is a Christ-like example. He's not a Christ-like example. One of Scrooge's motivators is that he wants to be liked. 
He, he sees a future in a grave where, and in a empty, at an empty funeral and t- people talking bad about him. And he turns his life around. He wants to be like, nobody wants to go to the end being poorly thought of. Now I say all this because in this passage, Paul identifies two competing motivators of life. Um, he, he, they're, they're fuel sources for, and, and in this case, they're fueling the sharing of the gospel, actually. Doing good things, sharing the gospel. One is a bad motivator, one is a good motivator. And, and, and yes, the tremendous thing that's happening in this passage is that the, the gospel is being advanced Christ is being proclaimed, as Paul says in in verse 18. And Paul wants to make clear in this passage that the gospel is being advanced. Christ is being made known still. It's not failing despite these bad motives. Despite these bad, uh, this sinful behavior that's going on in some who share the gospel. And for us, for us, we need to analyze these motivators, these fuel sources, in order that we would turn away from the bad turn away from living on that wheel and hold fast to the good, what's truly worth living for. So we will be given, give, what will happen is we'll give a proper place to the gospel in our lives. So let's look at the first motivator. It's the same desire, as I said, which straps a person to that Ferris wheel of public opinion and comparison. It's, it's the same one. This, this first fuel source, this first motivator is the self-empowered desire to make a name for yourself. Or as Paul calls it, selfish ambition. In verse 17 there. You can also see these same people in verse 15. In verse, in verse 15, Paul says that these people are sharing the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus, but they're in doing it out of envy and rivalry. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And then in verse 17, Paul says, he's, he's talking back to, about the same group of people. And he says, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now before we go further, I think it's important to know one thing about these rivals. Paul, it's, it's important to know that Paul identifies them as Christians. He identifies them as Christians. And it, when, when Paul says in verse 14, most of the brothers, he is including the people he talks about after this. And it includes people who are preaching the gospel out of envy and, preaching, and those who are preaching the gospel out of goodwill. And when Paul uses, if you're new to reading the Bible, when Paul refers to brothers almost every time, he's referring, it's a, it's a shorthand way of saying brothers and sisters in Christ. People who are in the church, people who are working together for the gospel or should be working together for the gospel. So Paul it's, it's, it's a title that Paul uses to talk about Christians. He calls these selfish, envious, pain-inflicting rivals Christians. That should create a problem. It does for me. It seems that Paul has created an impossible scenario. How can... How can Christians be living on, riding this wheel 
of public opinion and comparison. That's not Christian behavior. That's sinful behavior. That's wrong. And yet, Paul says they have this condition. They are followers of Christ, and yet they have this condition. They're on this this wheel. They preach Christ? Yeah, you bet they preach Christ. They tell people it's about Jesus. So we do not knock them. We don't knock them saying they're not telling people about Jesus. In fact, there's been an uptick, it seems. There's been an uptick in their efforts as a result of what happened to Paul. They are, they're, they're boldly preaching Christ, but they preach Christ with a heart full of envy, and they preach Christ with a mindset of rivalry, riding the wheel up by comparing themselves with Paul and his imprisonment. And, and, and in doing so, Paul concludes that these Christians preach Christ with selfish motives, selfish ambition. They see Paul's suffering. They see who should be their brother, who is their brother in the Lord. They see him suffering and they think maybe a few of his people will join our church. Maybe God isn't really blessing Paul's ministry. This is going to be great for us. Paul's in prison. This is good for us. They're using the suffering, being fueled by, out of their selfish ambition and and motivation, they are spurred on to tell people about Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and be healed. And their motive is from selfish ambition. This is a despicable mindset. This is sin. It is a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's that same sick comparison game, right? Where, and it comes, and it's coming from the heart of one who says, while I, while I was still a sinner, while I was unlovable, while I was in, in it, Jesus died for me. So in the name of Jesus... Paul's saying you can have a heart of selfishness and pride basing our own success on how we believe others in God's church are doing. That's wrong. That's wrong. It's a sickness. This is what happens when selfish ambition infects a Christian, when a desire to make a name for yourself is driving you, When it motivates you, you're going to look to others and compare yourself. And you're going to find your success in the failure of others as they did to Paul. If they're failing, I'm succeeding. You climb up the wheel as they fall down, right? And the problem is, is that if you're on the wheel of public opinion and comparison... What's going to happen when Paul gets out of prison? Where's your joy going to be found when the one that motivated you is back in there standing again? Around and around you go. Their success is going to bring you back down. Living on this, being motivated by the failure of others. What's going to happen when Paul's, Paul gets out of prison? You're, you're, you're going to go right back down again basing your, your success on the failure of others. 
if you're discouraged, and I was discouraged and convicted by this first motivator, let's look at the second. I think the second motivation, the second driving force, the second fuel, the reality that gets these Christians confident and going and sharing the gospel, let's look at that, and I think we'll, we'll find hope in it. Because the second is a God-empowered desire to make a name for Jesus. A God-empowered desire, as opposed to the self empowered desire to make a name for myself. This is a God-empowered desire to make a name for Jesus. I think it's helpful that we first start at the negative, um, describing the, the, the bad motive for doing good things, right? The sinful motive, because, because now we can see how those bad motives, um, if they were in Paul's heart, if they were in these other people who, who loved Paul, the ones described in verses 15 and 16, if they would have been running their lives fueled by selfish ambition, they too would have been on that wheel. This isn't just, this is, this is a, a potential for them. We could see what, what their response would have been had they been living for human praise, living and basing themselves on others. The, I think the results would be pr- pretty clearly visible. Vis- visible to us, if Paul were living a life based on comparison and public opinion, this passage would have looked like Paul's in the tank. Suffering, prison, for a person being basing your success on the opinions of others and by comparing yourself with others is not a successful place to be. Not comfortable that's not, prison is not where people think highly of you. Failure in the world's eyes. They don't like me. They'll just look at, then also the opinion thing, right? So he knows that there's these people outside that are taking joy in his suffering, right? They're speaking bad about me. They're happy that I'm suffering. Paul would have been a wreck. He would have been a wreck. Imprisonment. In the eyes, when strapped to the wheel, suffering, when strapped to the wheel, is not fair, it's not from God, and it's not good. Nothing good is going to come from that. Only, where is, this, where is joy going to come in that situation? Only in release, only in revenge, only when I can fix my situation, only when the, the, the opponents get there, gets what's coming to them, that's... That's where my joy is going to be found. That's where I will be when I'm back up at the top. And, and think about these other, these other brothers. Now, they're in a really unique situation, right? The ones in verses 15 and, and 16. So these are people who, who loved Paul. So if, Paul is their man. Paul's their man. And they're following Paul. He's part of their clan. And, and so then seeing his suffering, seeing his failure, that's not going to result in what it resulted in. It's not going to result in confidence and boldness. It's going to result in fear if they're riding on that same wheel. You know, it's a a community event on the wheel sometimes. You ride up and down on the successes and failures of your tribe too. The one you hold on to, your influencer. When they're down, you're down just like the Dallas Cowboys fans last week. If they were strapped to the wheel of public opinion and comparison, 
they would have given in to fear. We still love you, Paul. I'm not saying they're going to abandon Paul. They still love him. He's their guy. But we need to be careful for a while. We need to settle, let the dust settle for a little bit. We need to reevaluate the situation after we can do that. If strapped to the wheel, if motivated by selfish ambition, both Paul and these others, these ones who loved him, would not have seen and not shared Christ in their situation. They would not have seen it as a, as a means to make Christ known. And this is why we can praise God that he intervenes. Because we don't see that same old, selfishly motivated fuel source flowing from these people. We see, in other, on the other hand, the transforming power of the gospel in their lives. We see the loving work of Christ in those who believe. How does the gospel change what drives and motivates us? How does the loving work of Jesus work in the heart of a believer? What it does, what the the work of Christ does, is it transforms a person to deny the wheel of public opinion and comparison, to deny themselves and to look to Jesus Christ alone as their prize and their goal and their standard of success. When a person sees that Jesus has loved them, when a person sees that he has done in and for them a great work, and when they believe and identify with how Jesus has loved them and has worked for them and is working for them and in them, what we will begin to see in a person's life is a denial of selfish ambition in exchange for a desire to make Jesus known. That is the effect of the gospel. They reject the wheel, constantly rejecting the wheel of public opinion and comparison. They reject basing their success on the opinions of others and on the failures and successes of others, and they find their success in making Jesus known. That's what happened in these people. What does it look like? We've, so we have these two examples. Let's look at them really quickly. So this first example, of course, is Paul. And Paul is suffering. So he gets thrown into prison. Not a good situation in the world's eyes. And yet, because Paul is in Christ, meaning that he has identified himself with Jesus. He's identifying himself with Jesus. He's on team Jesus. Because Paul is in Christ, he looks at everything through the lens of Jesus Christ. Prison is for Christ because Paul is for Christ. I am seeking to make Christ known. And we think he was put in jail because of making Christ known. He doesn't say it explicitly, but contextually, yes. He's put there for telling others about Christ. Well, he does say it explicitly. He says it earlier for the defense of the gospel. So Paul looks at his prison situation and says... This has advanced the gospel. Well, how? How how has it advanced the gospel? And so first, Paul, he says, it's working. The gospel is still working in this situation because I have a new avenue to tell people about who Christ is. If I'm not in prison, this imperial guard and all these others who are maybe other prisoners, we don't really know, they know about Jesus now. He has an opportunity to do that. So, and, and, and... 
So, so then prison isn't ultimately a hindrance to the gospel. And if you stop there, I think Paul would say, like if nothing else good happened, I think Paul would say, based on what we know about his life, he would say it was a success. But we don't just see that. We see that his, prison, his imprisonment, which is a bad thing, has not really stopped the gospel outside of prison from being spread. There's more to say that about, that, about that in the moment. But just, just we see that, right? It hasn't really stopped. And the other thing Paul is enduring is, of course, these opponents, these people who are trying to afflict Paul while he's imprisoned. However, as a person whose sole purpose is to advance the gospel, to tell people about Jesus, he is able to look, overlook an offense. And only, he overlooks that offense and, he's, and he only looks at the impact that his opponent's behavior is having on the gospel. That is a crazy thought. So, enemies, slanderers, coming against me. Who cares? I'm not the one who matters. I think that's what Paul's saying here. I'm not the one who matters. Jesus is the one who matters. Are people still hearing about Christ through them? Is the perfect life, sacrificial death, Glorious, hope-giving resurrection. Is that still being proclaimed? It's as if Paul is saying, yes, I, I, I know. I, I know they are trying to get at me. Yes, I know they're trying to, to inflict me and afflict me. But what about Jesus? Is the love of Christ... This love that I feel and I'm in prison for, this love that I feel and I'm in prison for, is the love of Jesus being shown to people who are right now under condemnation. Is that still happening? Is that still happening? If the, if the gospel, if this true gospel, this message of Christ, if it's still being proclaimed, Paul says, okay, I can rejoice in that still. I will rejoice in that still. The love of Jesus, in Paul, in Paul we see an example that the love of Jesus still works in suffering, still at work in suffering. The second example is these other brothers, right? The ones who love Paul, they witness Paul's suffering, but this same work of the gospel is also clear in them. They're, they're preaching out of goodwill. They're preaching out of love. They're the ones who see that Paul's prison ministry, that word for placed there, it's, it's providential placement. It's a providential plan of God. God's putting him there to defend the gospel. Not just a fluke. In these brothers, a marvelous thing happens. They see Paul's suffering. They still, it's still present there. We see him suffering. It's bad, right? But rather than giving into fear, they actually have grown confident. They've actually grown more confident in the Lord while they're seeing Paul suffer. Now, just real quickly, there's a couple translations that put the prepositional phrase in the Lord after brothers. And that's um, not the best way to understand that. It modifies the word confident, and I think the ESV gets it right. And even more than that, Paul you can't see it in English, but in the original language, he emphatically puts in the Lord in this sentence. He wants them to know that confident in the Lord is what's happening to these brothers. 
The Lord is working in them to make them confident. They see Paul's suffering, and yet because of the Lord's work in them, God's at work in the Lord, the Lord is working in them, they're resolved not to love their own lives, even if it costs them, even if, even if it, costs, it costs them, and so they preach without fear. They see, and, and, and really only in the Lord can they see, only in the Lord can they see that Paul's situation, it's not a fluke, it's not a failure, and it's not outside of God's plan. They see Paul's situation and they say, God is working in this. God is working in this. Paul has been providentially placed there to defend the gospel. God is at work in this. We're going to keep doing what we are called to do. And it's within this, this God-given, God-empowered desire to make Jesus known that we see the fruit of the gospel at work in the lives of God's people. We're seeing the fruit of the gospel at work. Yes, he's always working. But here in these people, we see the love of Jesus still works, even in suffering, even in, in bad things. I think we can know from this passage that there really are <coughs> two motivators in life. There are selfish desires to make a name for ourselves, and there are God-empowered desires to deny yourself to make Jesus known. I think this passage calls us also to ask, what is fueling me? What is motivating me? When suffering comes, how will I respond? I think Paul wants us to see that, that suffering is a testing ground. Is Christ present in this? Or is he apart from it, even in the worst of things? Is joy present in it or apart from my suffering? And and also you can see here, what's my definition of a successful life? Where is my joy found? Where is my comfort found? Is it in Christ and Christ proclaimed? Or is is my joy based on selfishness? Comparing myself with one another's riding on that wheel. If you're feeling the burden of a life lived on the comparison of others, conviction of sin, if you're feeling the weight of losing your joy in the midst of suffering, which I think most people can relate to, we can know, I think from this passage, we can know that the love of Jesus has room if you will take him. The love of Jesus has room for you. If you identify with Jesus, am I going to identify with him, his loving work for me, In the gospel message, we see that Jesus did an amazing thing. It's it's stupendous. It's wonderful. What did he do? Jesus destroys. Jesus breaks the wheel of public opinion and comparison by giving you the only thing. The only thing worth living for, worth finding joy in. The only lasting thing, which is himself. He can transform your life from living, to a, uh, living for the praise of others, finding, basing yourself on the success or failure of others. He can transform it to living life, your life, the life he's given you, 
your family, your job, the place that he has placed you, to live that with a God-empowered desire to make Jesus known, to live for Christ, to only see Jesus as, 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 as your identity, your joy, that is to break that wheel of comparison and opinion. And it only is found in Christ. I know this because it is in Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in him, if you're trusting in him, there is one reality that you can hold on to. This is, Jesus is a lasting treasure. He gives lasting joy. The love of Christ, if you're in Christ, is not based on your situation in life. His opinion of you if you're trusting in him, will not change, unchanging. That's where joy is found. To live in the love of Christ, the love of the one who died for you, who took on your debt, the love of an unchanging one. That's where joy is found. To live in the love of Christ and to make his love known. Let's pray. Father, please work in our hearts. May we be a people who daily say, no, I'm not going to live for the praise of people. And I'm not going to base my success on the opinions of people. I'm going to live for you. May we do that as the body of Christ together. We need your help. We need your help to do this. We need one another. We need accountability. We need coming alongside. Work in us to do that, this great work. May we live for Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.